all of us experience from, uh, at one level or another, uh, some measure of forgetfulness. Uh, all of us tend to be forgetful of, of certain things. Uh, some of us are more forgetful than others, right? Uh, probably every, everyone has either a spouse or a friend or a family member who just can't seem to remember their, where they put their keys or their phone or their wallet, right? And, uh, but all of us, all of us forget things at one time or another. And at a minimum, forgetfulness is sort of a nuisance, right? It's frustrating, it's irritating when you can't find your keys, when you can't find your phone, when you can't find your wallet, when you can't find that thing that you need right now and you know you put it somewhere where you wouldn't forget it, but apparently you forgot it anyway. It's frustrating. um, And it's uh, distressing even at times. Uh, Forgetfulness can be embarrassing too. If you forget a meeting you're supposed to be at and everybody else showed up except for you, you know, you can feel embarrassed about that. Um, If you forget about a responsibility that you had and you fail to fulfill it, um, it can be extremely embarrassing, again, or frustrating. But there's a different kind of forgetfulness that can disrupt and even disturb our lives uh, at a deep level and lead to discouragement or even depression. Oftentimes, the things we wish we could forget are the things we can't stop remembering. And the things we need to remember are the things we seem to consistently forget. And David apparently identified with that problem, at least at some level, and that seems to be why he wrote Psalm 103. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible, if you haven't already, to Psalm 103 and see what David has to say to himself first, and then by extension to us, about the things we forget that we need to remember. I chose this text uh, because it seemed appropriate as we are approaching Thanksgiving. And one of the things that's just true about life is that as the holidays roll around, we don't always feel like we want to feel at the holidays, right? Sometimes Thanksgiving doesn't feel like a really thankful time of our life, right? Sometimes Christmas doesn't feel like the most joyful time of the year, whether because of circumstances in your own life or your family, whether because of um, burdens that you are carrying or, or distressing things that you are having to deal with. Uh, sometimes you just don't feel like giving thanks. Sometimes you don't feel like you have a lot to be thankful for. Sometimes you might walk into church on a Sunday morning thinking, I don't really feel like praising God, worshiping God. It happens when you uh, open your Bible for your uh, quiet time or Bible reading time, right? It happens uh, when you get up and trying to decide whether or not you're going to go to church on Sunday morning. Oftentimes, we, our, our emotions, our feelings, our circumstances don't match where we know we ought to be. So what do we do in that situation? Let's read Psalm 103 and see what David did. David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now here's what I think is significant about this psalm from the beginning. When David says in verse 1 and verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul. He is sort of uh, taking himself in hand. He's calling upon himself, his own soul. He's speaking to himself and saying, David, you need to bless God. David, you've got reason to praise God. My soul, soul, you need to praise the Lord. You need to glorify the Lord. Everything in me needs to Bless the Lord. And I don't think that David is saying that just as sort of a poetic device to get the psalm started. I think David is saying that because he doesn't feel like doing that. I think he's telling his soul, you need to bless the Lord because his soul is not currently blessing the Lord. I think he's telling himself, You need to praise God because at the moment he's not praising God, not feeling like praising God. But by the end of the psalm, not only is he blessing the Lord, he's calling upon the heavenly hosts and all the things that God has made to bless the Lord. So how does David get from, I don't feel like blessing God, but I know I need to. To a place where he's telling everyone around him, hey guys, we've got we've to praise the Lord. We've got to worship the Lord. We've got we've reason to give thanks to the Lord. How does he get from that place 
at the beginning where he's not feeling very worshipful to the end where he's calling upon everyone to join him in worship. Well, David himself had plenty of reason to bless the Lord, plenty of reason to worship the Lord, right? He'd been anointed as king, chosen by God to be the next king of Israel after Saul. He'd been delivered by God when he faced Goliath the giant and slew him by the power and strength of God himself. David had been delivered from Saul who persecuted him, tried to kill him on more than one occasion, attempted to pin David to a wall, but God rescued him again and again. God did raise him up to be the king, and God forgave David of more than one life-altering sin. He had taken a woman who wasn't his wife, murdered her husband, who was one of David's best and most loyal soldiers, And God had pardoned him for those things. David had lots of reasons to praise God, to bless God. But at this particular moment, he doesn't appear to have felt much like praising God. So what he did was he reminded himself of all the reasons he had for blessing the Lord. Verse 2 says in the second half, forget not all his benefits. And the reason why he told himself to forget not all God's benefits is because he was prone, like you and I, to forget all God's benefits. He was prone to forget the ways that God had delivered him. He was prone to forget the ways God had forgiven him. He was prone to forget all the great and glorious things that God had done for him and for his people. And he needed to be reminded just like you and I need to be reminded of what God has done. So the first lesson we learned from David in this psalm is that sometimes you have to take yourself in hand and tell yourself, remind yourself of the reasons you have to worship God. If you come to church and we're singing the hymns and we're praying and you're just sitting there thinking, you know, I can, I can mouth the words, but my heart is not in it. What do I do? How, how do I respond? I don't want to be somebody who's only worshiping you know, with my lips. Jesus talked about that, about people who worship Him with their lips, but their heart is far from Him. I don't want to be that kind of person whose heart is far from the Lord, who's just sort of going through the motions and mouthing the words. What am I supposed to do? Well, do what David did. Tell yourself the things we're singing about are the things that are supposed to be uh, reminding me of why God is worthy of worship. The, The songs that we're singing are there to not only for me to speak them to God, but also for those words to be spoken to my heart in order to stir up my heart to praise God. You might wonder why I remember, um, Somebody saying one time something along the lines of, you know, we should only sing worship songs that are directly addressed to God. All of our worship songs should be, you know, us saying, God, you are this. God, you have done this. Here are all the reasons, God, why you're great. And that sounds really spiritual, but it's honestly not very biblical. This psalm, for example, Psalm 103, it's not directly addressed to God. It's full of truth about God, but in a way it's addressed to David. 
David is telling himself, here are all the things that God has done. Here are all the ways that God has shown up and shown out and revealed himself and brought blessing into your life. And you need to remember all those things so that you can address God in praise. Right? And sometimes, you'll notice this in our, even in the hymns that we sing. Some of the hymns we sing, like count your blessings, that's not directly addressed to God. Is that a problem? No, it's not a problem because it's reminding us of all the things that God has done, which helps create in us a heart that's joyful and responding to God in biblical worship. That's what David's doing here. That's what many of our hymns do. That's what we need to do for ourselves when we wake up on a day where we just don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like thanking God for anything. What do I do with that? Remind myself of the reasons why I should be thankful, why I should be eager to hear from God, why I should be eager to pray and bring my requests and thanksgivings to the Lord. So what reasons does David have for giving thanks to the Lord, for blessing the Lord? He gives us many in this psalm. And the first one, And I don't think it's a coincidence or an accident that this is the first one. The first one is in verse 3. God who forgives all your iniquity. The first thing David reminds himself of is how forgiving our God is. In fact, this is so significant, he comes back to it again in verses 9 through 12 of this psalm. And reminds himself again of how significant the Lord's forgiveness is. Right? So forget not all his benefits. First one out of the gate is he's a God who forgives all our iniquities. Right? Forgives all our iniquities. And, and that word all is significant. Right? Because again, David was not always a really great guy. He was an adulterer and a murderer. He didn't just have some minor sins, so to speak, that he needed forgiveness for. He needed forgiveness for some big ones. And when you look at all of the major figures in the Bible, aside from Jesus himself, right, who's God in the flesh, aside from him, all the other major figures in the Bible needed forgiveness in a big way. Remember Noah? After the flood, what did he do? got drunk. What did Abraham do? He trusted God, but he also lied about his wife being his sister. What about Moses? Killed that Egyptian and sinned against God so that God wouldn't allow Moses into the promised land. All of them are just like us. They are all sinners whom God saved by grace, whom God forgave their sin. David was the same way, and that forgiveness is really, in some ways, at the root of all God's other blessings that he gives us. Because if God doesn't give you forgiveness, if you don't receive the gift of God's forgiveness that he purchased by the death of his son, none of the other blessings that he gives you are really going to make much difference for you. You might experience some temporary blessings from God, and that's a good thing. But if you 
don't come to God through Christ seeking the forgiveness of your sins, then even the best blessings that he gives you are only going to last for a little while. Uh, But when he forgives you of your sin and makes you his child, then those blessings are secured for you forever. David, or excuse me, Paul says in uh, Ephesians 1.3 to believers, he says that God has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. Every good thing that God has give, could give you, He has given you already in Christ. And that comes when you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus and you're united to Christ and then all those blessings are poured out upon you. So He says, forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. He says in verse, uh, verse 9, right, He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. If, you, if you're a Christian and you feel yourself under sort of the discipline of God, right? That you've not been doing what you're supposed to do and you can tell the Lord is sort of wearing you out about it. Your conscience is bothering you because you, you know there's this thing you should be doing that you aren't doing or that you shouldn't be doing that you are doing and it's just sort of wearing you out. David says that, that doesn't last forever. God's not going to chide you forever, be angry forever. Verse 10, he says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He doesn't deal out what, by rights, by justice, we ought to get from him. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. And the reason why is verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. If you fear Him, if you trust Him, if you reverence Him, if you tremble before Him in a healthy, godly fear, then David says His steadfast love, His loyal, faithful love toward you is so great that it makes the Himalayas look like molehills. It makes Mount Everest look like an ant mound. His steadfast love is overwhelming. It's higher than the highest heaven. And then he says, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as it's possible to throw your sins away from you. That's what God has done. right? He's removed those things. Satan wants us to think that we're still carrying those on our back. Right? He wants to remind you of them, whether they're five seconds old or 50 years old. He wants to remind you of them as though you just committed those sins and they are still clinging to you. But David says, if you brought your sins to the Lord for forgiveness, He has removed those from you as far as the east is from the west. They no longer cling to you. They no longer define you. They no longer belong to you. He has forgiven you. He has cleansed you. He has purged you of all that sin. So, bless the Lord because He forgives. Bless the Lord because He heals, He says, verse 3. God is the one who heals all your diseases. Now, of course, He doesn't heal them all when we want, like we would want. Right? There are people who uh, try to sell this verse as though this means if you really trusted God enough and you really gave enough money to so-and-so's ministry, then God would heal you right now. 
The Bible does not promise that. Nowhere does the Bible say that. But what the Bible does say is that sin and sickness and disease and death came into the world because of sin in the beginning. It wasn't the way God designed it originally to work. And the Bible says that in the end, when Jesus comes back and makes all things new, then there's not going to be any more death or mourning or crying or pain or sickness or any of those things. When Jesus came to preach the kingdom, to announce that God's saving reign was coming into the world, one of the things he did was he healed people to say, when the kingdom comes in its fullness, when God comes and restores the world to the way it's supposed to be, there's not going to be any more of this. There's not going to be any more death. There's not going to be any more fevers or cancers. There's not going to be any more of this mourning and crying and pain. It's all going to be gone. He's the Lord who heals. Verse 4 says, He's the God who redeems your life from the pit. All of us have been in a pit at one point or another. That could be a situation where you're just in some kind of trouble you can't get yourself out of. Could be financial trouble, could be family trouble, right? could be sin, could be, I mean, it could be any number of things, any number of ways that you've gotten yourself into this pit. Or the pit could refer to death itself. Right? You, you are stuck in this place, and if somebody doesn't get you out, you're going to die. You are in the pit. How are you going to get out? You can't get yourself out. But our God is a God who redeems from the pit. David has a whole psalm about this, right? Psalm 40, where he sings about how he was uh, in this pit and he was down in the miry clay and God lifted him up. God redeemed him from the pit. Our God is a God who rescues people. There, there are stories in this room of people who will say, I was in the pit and I was, there was no way I was getting out of that on my own. In fact, half the time I didn't even, wasn't even sure I wanted out. But God reached down and pulled me out of that pitch. pit, redeemed my life. And what else does he do? He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. When you come out of a pit, you don't really look like the kind of person who ought to be wearing a crown. Usually dirty, messed up, torn up. But it's the people who God brings out of the pit whom He sets upon their head. His mercy, His steadfast love like a crown. and says, this one is mine. And He places honor and dignity upon those who don't deserve it because He is a God of grace and mercy. He also says, verse Five, that he's the God who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The God is the one who gives us every good thing. Those things in your life, right, those things in your life that when you're down, when you're discouraged, when you're depressed, when you feel defeated, when you're worn out, when you're exhausted, and those things in your life that God brings in that rejuvenate you, that renew you. Maybe it's a dinner with a friend. Maybe it's just having a game night with your family. Maybe it's a phone call from somebody you haven't talked to in a long time, speaking words of encouragement. Maybe it's just a day of rest, doing nothing. 
Right? Those moments, those people, those words, those respites from labor, those are gifts from God given to us to renew us, to refresh us. Right? James 1.17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no shifting or shadow due to change. All those gifts come to us from the Lord. He satisfies us. He renews us. He also works justice for the oppressed, verse 6 says. Now that's good news whether you feel like you're one of the oppressed or not. We are grateful to have a God who does not trod upon the weak and the weary, but He lifts them up. He works on their behalf. There are plenty of people in the world who are just walking all over people who are weaker than them, who have less power, less opportunity, less privileges or whatever than them. But our God is not like that. Our God does not take the side of the rich and the powerful who work against those and who take advantage of those who have not riches or power. Our God is a God who takes the side of the weak and the weary and the downtrodden and the oppressed and works for their good and lifts them up. And that's good news for us because most of us either have been there or are there. Right? We know what it's like to be persecuted, to be slandered, to be oppressed, to be taken advantage of, to be whatever. God cares about that. And He cares about us when we're in those situations. And He works on our behalf for righteousness and justice. And in the end, all of those wrongs will be made right. Because the ultimate judge of the universe is a God who cares about righteousness and justice. And who cares about the weak and those who are oppressed. He also tells us, in verse uh, 7 and 8, that we have reason to bless God because He's a God who reveals Himself. Now this is something that we don't think about a whole lot uh, to give thanks for, but we should. And I think one of the reasons why we don't think about this as much is because the more we have of something, the less we tend to appreciate it. Right? I mean, you you and I have multiple places in our house where we can get cold or hot water on demand. Just about as much as you want of it, right? No big deal. Well, if you've been living all your life somewhere where you had to walk 100 yards to pump water and then carry it to the house and then build up the fire and then heat it, to have hot water to cook with or to bathe with or whatever, and then somebody put a spigot in your house where you could have hot water in 30 seconds, you'd be praising the Lord, right? You'd be raising your hands and do a little dance. Well, we have over a thousand pages of God's revelation at our fingertips. Most of us have it on our phones. Most of us have multiple copies in our houses. If we forget to bring the one from the house, we might have an extra one in the car. I mean, we have... Bibles everywhere. David, when he wrote these words, he probably had five to maybe seven books of the Bible. 
You probably have the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Maybe Joshua, maybe Judges. That's probably it. Find that in your Bible. That's, that's a whole lot less, right? And when you have that little, it's not too hard to imagine you might not have had any. What if God had not revealed himself? What if, what if God had not spoken? What if God had not showed us who he is and what he's like and we just sort of had to guess and try to figure it out and grope in the darkness trying to figure out who this God is and what he wants us to do and how he wants us to live and how he wants us to act. So David says in verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And what he's referring to there is in uh, Exodus 33 and 34 where God prays, or excuse me, Moses prays to God and says, God, show me your ways. And he says, God, show me your glory. And what does God do? God comes down and meets with Moses, lets Moses catch a glimpse of his glory and stands before Moses on the mountain and says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and so on. And we know that's what David is thinking of because he quotes that in verse 8. What did God make known about his ways to Moses? Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Nobody would have figured that out about God if he hadn't shown it to us. I mean, you look at all the different gods that different uh, cultures and societies have concocted for themselves throughout the history of the world. Most of them are pretty scary. Some of them are downright gross and disturbing. None of them are terribly friendly all the time, even if some of them are occasionally nice. Most of them are not, you know, real upstanding people, and some of them are not even the kind of creatures you'd want to be around. When we come up with our own ideas of God, we go wildly astray. David says, God, I'm so glad, I'm so thankful that you revealed yourself to Moses, that you told him that not only are you a God of justice and righteousness, but that you're a God of steadfast love, a God of mercy, a God of grace. I wouldn't have dared to hope that you would be the kind of God who would forgive adultery and murder and still let me be king. I would not have imagined that you're the kind of God whose love would not be fickle and based on my performance, but would be steadfast and loyal on my best days, on my lowest days. Your love remains the same. It's unchanged by my behavior. I'm so glad you told Moses that. I'm so glad that you revealed that to him. We could keep going, obviously, for a pretty long time. Let me show you one more thing here in this psalm that David gives thanks for. In verse 13 and 14, he reminds himself and reminds us of the Lord's compassion. He says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. How many of you have maybe been taken aback at some point by uh, 
a man who looks just like, you know, a, a gruff, hardworking man's man, and then he gets around his kids, and he just becomes the tenderest, gentlest, kindest teddy bear of a dad or a grandfather, you know, that you could imagine. That's what I think about when I, when I read what David says here, that the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him like a father shows compassion to his children. The, the fiercest fighter of a father doesn't want to destroy his own kids. When, even in his uh, maybe justified anger at something that his child has done, He's going to show compassion. He's going to show restraint. He's going to show mercy. David says, God is like the best of fathers and better. He's like a father who is tender and loving, though he is almighty and all-powerful. He knows that we're not. He knows that we're made from the dust He knows that we are weak and frail. He knows our frame and he shows compassion to us. For all those reasons and more, David tells himself, don't forget to bless the Lord. Remember these things so that you will want to bless the Lord. So my word of encouragement and exhortation to you from this psalm this morning is don't forget when conflict breaks out around the Thanksgiving table, which it inevitably inevitably will for some of us, don't forget in that moment these things that David has reminded you of this morning. Don't forget if you wake up on if you wake up sick on Thanksgiving Day, which some of us might. Don't forget in that moment all the reasons you have to give thanks to the Lord. Don't forget when you push back from the table full and satisfied with your favorite football team on the television and life feels really good. Don't forget in that moment either. All the good things that you have been given come to you from the Lord. In good times and in bad times. We have abundant reason to bless the Lord. Let's pray.